New Year's Eve is a special night. To revel in the warmth of holiday comfort foods, enjoy time with family and friends, reflect on the year that's passed, and look with hope on what's to come. Sometimes, the safety we feel in moments like these is nothing but an illusion, and not everyone gets the chance at another year. I'm M. William Phelps, an investigative journalist and author of more than 40 true crime books. I've dedicated the past 20 years of my life to helping families of the missing and murdered. Join me. We're crossing the line. When Berrien County Sheriff's Department Officer Mike Lanier approached the scene on New Year's Eve, December 31st, 2018, several first responders were already present. It started moments earlier with a 911 call from a distraught woman who frantically said that her husband had just been shot. I need help, my husband. Hello? Hello? Yes. I need help. Hello? I'm my husband was shot. I need help. I'm going to fire call in St. Joe Township for shooting. Wife advising her husband has been shot. She's advised he's no longer breathing. I got help coming there. I got help on the way there, okay? Stay on the line with me here. Stay on the line with me. Ma'am, what is your husband's name? You can kind of hear the anguish in her voice, right? Baby, she says through tears. It's horrifying to listen to. I mean, one minute you're here, next minute you're gone. The young military officer who was shot, Tyrone Hassel, is lying in the driveway of his father's Colfax Avenue home in St. Joseph Township, Benton Harbor, Michigan. It's just after 11 p.m. when his wife makes that call. Tyrone, just 23 years of age, is an active duty sergeant in the Army. He was home on leave from his base in Georgia where he and his wife, an Army specialist, are stationed. Tyrone and his wife just made a permanent change of station move earlier that month, December. They'd moved from Fort Carson, Colorado to join the 1st Brigade Combat Team, 3rd Infantry Division at Fort Stewart. He'd stepped out of his father's house where he, his wife, and their toddler were staying while home on leave. You see, Tyrone was on his way back over to his friend's house, where he'd been attending a New Year's Eve party earlier. He dropped in at home, where they were staying for a moment, just to bring his wife some food. She hadn't gone to the party. He texted her earlier to let her know he was on his way. As Tyrone walked back out to his truck, out of the dark behind him, someone appears and then starts firing. After the 911 call, there is a massive response. As police fill the area, Officer Mike Lanier is told the promising news that Tyrone has a pulse. He's actually still alive. He's fighting for his life, no doubt about it, but he has that pulse. He's alive as paramedics prepare him for a trip to the hospital. As Officer Lanier assesses the scene, Tyrone is lying on the ground against his Dodge pickup truck. He's shot in the head and neck. There are several people around him, and there's an obviously distraught woman holding on to him, and she's agonizingly crying out, actually screaming. She's in such a state of panic, officers literally have to pull her 
away from Tyrone so medics can keep him alive and get him to the hospital. At one point, she tries to jump into the ambulance, again screaming, crying out for her husband, and officers have to pull her away. So Lanier goes up to the woman and asks her name, Kamaya Hassel, Tyrone's wife. And then she asks the cop, do you think someone was trying to break into the house or something? She's hysterical. She seems confused, scared. Clearly, she is trying to register what's going on here. And I should mention that all the quotes I'm going to use here, they're from body cam video. So these are direct quotes. Officers noticed a tremendous amount of blood and what they call gray matter near Tyrone's head. That gray matter is actually brain tissue, blood, bone, and skin. Mike Lanier determines that Tyrone Hassel is likely not going to make it. It just doesn't look good for the guy. As Tyrone is being treated inside the ambulance and prepared to be taken to the hospital, a man comes rushing up the driveway. Lanier steps in front of him and stops him immediately, tells the man he cannot come any closer, then asks, what's your name? The scene is chaotic at this point. People are everywhere, lights flashing, sirens, cops asking questions. They're already investigating, really, looking for evidence of what could have taken place. Tyrone Hassel Jr., the man says, I'm Tyrone's father. That is my son, Tyrone Hassel III. He doesn't even live here. He lives in Georgia. At this point, body cam video shows Kamaya, Tyrone's wife, out of breath, crying, barely able to speak, breathlessly saying how she cannot understand what happened. She says, he just brought us home something to eat. I was sitting on the couch eating and I just heard gunshots. You know, what a shit show this is, really. I mean, the guy's wife and his father, not knowing what in the name of God is happening, are watching as Tyrone, unconscious and bleeding out, is whisked away as more law enforcement arrive on scene. By now, neighbors are coming out of their homes and gathering. We're talking about kind of a suburban neighborhood here, basically, with ranch-style single-family homes, mailboxes with newspapers hanging underneath. It's generally quiet. Not much of anything happens. Allow me to say this. When, when a person is shot in the head in a suburban driveway of his family's home, it sets off a set of circumstances that will be with those closest to the victim. These traumatic moments are now etched in their brains forever. I can't stress that enough. If you know the victim, what you are seeing slowly registers. It doesn't even feel real. I mean, look, Tyrone's father and his wife are there. Other family members are coming home. I think about how many times I've left my house. This is such a rare, random crime. It's a chilling and sobering reminder that on any given day, anything is possible. Any work at a crime scene like this begins with the victim, what we call victimology. Who is Tyrone Hassel? Well, Tyrone had everything going for him and people love this guy. He was an overachiever in high school, a role model to his peers. Tyrone received a scholarship to study mechanical engineering at Grand Valley State University and then decided on a career in the military, same as his beautiful wife, Kamaya. That was in 2015. Ever since, they dedicated their lives to military service. Tyrone is also known as an example to most servicemen he works with. His athletic ability is stellar. 
He mastered whatever sport he participated in. He's also one of those rare people in life who inspires everyone around him, encouraging his peers to reach for their highest potential and not allow anyone or anything to stand in their way. Another characteristic he is known for, which is something that to me, you know, as I read about this guy, truly separates good people from great people. And that's how Tyrone helped colleagues study and be ready for testing when it came time to conquer higher ranks in the army. You know, it showed that he was humble. It wasn't about ego for Tyrone, you know? He wanted to help people. And, you know, isn't that always the case? The good guys. Those are the guys that get clipped. The shitbags, they live long, prosperous lives. And I think, you know, for the most part, the universe gets this part wrong. What do you think, Catherine? Yeah, it's always the good ones who go first. That's Catherine, my producer, who you have heard in other episodes and will hear in future episodes. I don't know. I don't know why I always do that face when I mention her name, but <laughs> <laughs> you smile when you mention my name. That's what I like. <laughs> By now, it's well after midnight on January 1st, 2019. Tyrone is at the hospital being worked on and doctors are losing him. Too much blood and brain matter have been lost. He's just not going to make it. Back at the crime scene, Tyrone's father is in a state of disillusionment and pain. His son is dying and he knows it. His son has been gunned down in his driveway. Officers kept the father at the scene as long as they could, explaining that they'd like to talk to him before he goes to the hospital to be by his son's side. And here's a question for police that comes up right away in this. Had the shooter mistaken Tyrone for his father? Was Tyrone's father the real target? Remember, Tyrone, the son, does not live there. He's been home for only a short time on leave. In this situation, as an investigator, you want to get information as fast as you can. I hear this all the time from detectives. As chaotic as it is, as painful as it is, you want to get to people and get words out of their mouths because raw emotion can sometimes produce solid information. People are more than willing, without even thinking about it at times, to suggest theories, give names, and spout off what they wouldn't say in a confined and controlled space of a precinct inside a small room. You know, no windows, two detectives breathing down your neck. I can't tell you how many times I've seen interviews or interrogations go bust simply because the witness or suspect has had time to think about what they're going to say. It's really tough because police have to ask these very pointed, very detailed questions as the trauma is happening. And here you're talking about a father and a son, a husband and a wife. He's a father himself. Mm -hmm. It's this sort of rapid fire police work that solves these types of cases. Because in a shooting like this, every moment that goes by after the crime takes place, it's more likely the shooter is never going to be caught. That street out there was dark as a cave. There was not a lot of CCTV in the area. You know, old school police work, asking questions and gathering information is going to solve this case. So the cop asked Tyrone's dad if he can recall anything about the night. He says he was with Tyrone at a mutual friend's house not far away. They were cooking together, laughing, joking around. I mean, this was a New Year's Eve party. Tyrone seemed in good spirits. Then Tyrone left to bring that plate of food to his wife. While his son was gone, Tyrone's father tells police, he got a call that something happened at the house, quote, a shooting, end quote. And so he hurried over, 
And that's about all the guy knows. In watching video researching this episode, you can't even believe how young Tyrone the Third is, how young Kamaya is. What really struck me, too, was seeing his father, Tyrone Jr. How young he is. He's so young. I'm like, yeah. he's my age. You know, yeah. I'm in my yeah. 30s. Maybe he's early, mid 40s. But I mean, he's talking about his adult son. He's a granddad. Right. And all of a sudden, his grandson doesn't have a father. Well, let me tell you, Tyrone's father might be young, but later on in this episode, you're going to hear how humble, how compassionate, mm -hmm. and how strong that guy is. You're going to hear his voice. Mm -hmm. Back at the scene, Tyrone's father is obviously in a hurry to be with his son at the hospital and tells the officer he needs to go. <laughs> like now, dude. Tyrone's wife had walked over and asked her father-in-law to run into the house and grab some fresh clothes. What she was wearing at the time was covered in her husband's blood. Before Tyrone's wife and father leave the crime scene, one of the officers pulls Kamaya aside and tells her it would be helpful if she could take just five minutes and tell them anything she can recall about the night. Remember, no detail in this situation is too small. Anything and everything can spark a thread of inquiry leading to the shooter. It's possible, but a shooting like this is hardly ever random, ever. As well-liked as people seem to be, with not a blemish to their name, as in Sergeant Hassel's case, you know, there's always someone out in the world who has a grudge or resentment and doesn't like that person. Human nature can be strange. Kamaya, of course, says she will do anything she can to help, but right now she needs to go be by her husband's side. On top of that, she is in a state of confusion and disarray. They have a son, Tyrone Hassel IV, who is almost two years old, and she needs to be there for their son. Officers, however, continue to press her for information. Kamaya tells them the same story Tyrone's father had, that Tyrone was at the New Year's Eve party with family, he brought her a plate of food, etc. Seconds after he walked out the door, as she began eating, she heard loud popping noises outside, and she ran out the door to see what the hell happened. So the cop says, loud pops? Y yes, she says, a lot. So the cop says, more than 10? She says, no. As Kamaya and Tyrone's father speed toward the hospital, officers begin to collect evidence at the scene. Nearly a half dozen shell casings from a nine millimeter handgun and a shoe print are most interesting to crime scene investigators. One cop can be heard on body cam saying, he came right up on him, point blank. The shell casings are on the ground close to where they found Tyrone. So Tyrone was shot at close range, point blank in the head and neck. So this is like someone comes up to him, is just right in his face or behind him, I suppose. Extremely close. It seems like an execution, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Officer Lanier is then approached by a medic who had stayed behind at the scene. He'd just taken a call from Lakeland Medical Center. Tyrone has sustained two gunshot wounds to the head, one to the neck and one to the shoulder. He didn't make it. This is now a murder investigation. With that, let's take a break and come right back. Kamaya and Tyrone's life together started at 100 miles per hour. They met in early 2016 and married on May 17th of that same year. 
Life was busy for the two of them then. Both were stationed at Fort Stewart in Georgia. As yet another example of Tyrone's giving nature, Tyrone's younger brother lived with them at the time. He was one of 10 siblings. With many of his family members having limited opportunities back home in Michigan, Tyrone suggested his brother move to Georgia and stay with them. So following his graduation, the brother moved in. By early 2017, Kamaya and Tyrone were stationed in South Korea. Because Tyrone was so skilled and very much a high achiever, he was promoted rapidly and became a sergeant. The two were living the dream, building big careers in the military. Kamaya was an army specialist, a truck driver, and worked all sorts of odd hours. If you're in the military and married, you can stay with your spouse when deployed. Kamaya and Tyrone decided in South Korea not to live together, blaming her long hours on the job and that it was easier to live alone. But was this a sign of the marriage cracking? I did a little math on this. The fact that he was shot and killed at the end of 2019 and their child was 23 months old, almost two, you do a little math and you go back. They got together in 2016, so she must have gotten pregnant pretty soon after they got together. And I wonder if that was kind of the reason they got married so quickly. I mean, that sounds about right. The day after the murder, Tyrone's father is asked to give the Berrien County Homicide Task Force a sit-down interview statement. He agrees, of course, willingly. Hassel Jr., the victim's father, explains that after thinking about what happened, he believes his stepson, who also lived at the same house, might have been the target of the shooting due to recent illegal activities he was allegedly involved in. The father references a few Facebook posts that seemed to suggest several people thought it was his stepson who had been murdered. Some of the comments included, like, that will teach him. Jeez. Yeah, so the father is beginning to think, hmm, somebody thought Tyrone was actually the stepson. Mm -hmm. Over the course of the next several days, scores of people are interviewed. Detectives literally work 24 hours a day, knowing that every moment counts in this type of crime investigation. They interview friends, family, and they canvass the neighborhood. Tyrone's family starts a GoFundMe page hoping to raise a $100,000 reward for information about the murder. They hold vigils. They give interviews to local television. The story begins to gain a lot of attention. Kamaya then posts several Facebook messages pleading for help. Quote, I just wish I was dreaming, man. I'm trying not to blame myself. Hashtag RIP my baby. End quote. In another post, she says, I owe you another baby. We needed a girl. She posts pictures of when she was pregnant with her and Tyrone's child. Pictures of her and Tyrone. Tyrone's family later said that Kamaya was constantly crying, sitting on the couch, pleading for an answer to it all. Footage from the closest Walmart is obtained, and CCTV shows several people who knew the Hassel family going in and buying 9mm rounds of ammunition. It feels like something in the investigation is going to break. But all of those suspects, if you will, are questioned extensively, and each has an alibi. The guns in question, moreover, are looked at, proving they had not even been fired. Other witnesses agree that Hassel's stepson was likely the target. It just seems dubious that Tyrone, home on leave for just a few days from his post in the military, could have been the target of a murder so far from where he's been living. 
right? You'd think anybody who's really that pissed at him would be local to where he's living. That's a great point, Catherine. I mean, they would definitely be local, right? Right. Robbery is quickly ruled out because all of Tyrone's belongings, including his wallet, credit cards, and cash, were not stolen. Another important factor is CCTV footage the sheriff's department receives around January 10th. So this is 10 days, nine days after the murder. It shows Tyrone traveling down the street where he and Kamaya were staying at his father's house and approaching his driveway. You know, it's, it's spotty because there's not cameras everywhere. It's that moment when he returns home to bring Kamaya the food. What they find important in the footage is that there's nobody following him. It didn't appear that anyone pulled up later either or before. So where had the damn shooter come from? Then a real break in the case. A woman from Georgia calls into the department and says she heard secondhand information that feels important. You think? Quote, I have a military son and I had a conversation with him and he was very distressed about a situation, a military wife and her boyfriend were bragging about murdering Tyrone. That military wife, Kamaya. So this was a little bit confusing the first time I read it. This woman is talking about a military wife and her boyfriend. So we know it's someone who's married who has a boyfriend, not the military wife and her husband. Right. This woman goes on to state further, quote, check into Kamaya's relationship with a guy who is also assigned to her platoon at Fort Stewart. She doesn't give them the name of the guy, but says she heard from several people Kamaya was having an affair. The woman would not give her name and didn't want to be involved, but said if police went to Georgia and asked around Kamaya's platoon, they would find out who she has been running around with. So this is no secret here. Yeah, and in tiny communities like that, you know, you're on a base, those sorts of things, like small communities, word gets around, even if you think everything's a secret. Right. A base is its own city, its own living, breathing thing. Then it's discovered that Tyrone Hassel was worth nearly half a million dollars if he was dead. Kamaya, as his wife, is the beneficiary. Oldest motive on record. It doesn't take freaking Columbo to figure this out. I mean, we're talking about spousal murder, right? So Officer Lanier, of course, calls a Georgia base and gets hold of Army Special Agent Joe Thompson. This is what I'm talking about when I say old school gumshoe police work. Here's a cop just following the evidence. It's the most productive task an investigator can do. A call comes in, even if the caller says she's reporting a rumor. You keep pushing until something pops. You keep following that rumor until you prove it's a rumor or you prove it's not a rumor. Thompson says two different people have since contacted his investigators with information about Sergeant Hassel's death. This one phone call made by what I'll say is a courageous woman who decided that she could not sit on the information opened up an investigation that had been going in circles for 10 days. What becomes even more important is that the information coming from Georgia had not been released publicly. Nobody would have known about any of it. The name the Georgia-based investigators come up with here is Jeremy Jordan Cuellar. He's married. He's in his early 20s. He's active military. He's stationed at the same base as Tyrone and Kamaya. The two new sources who had given the information feared this guy, Jeremy, so much that they had gone to the chaplain's quarters and stayed there after calling the police. Now that says something. 
Now police have several individual witnesses claiming that Cuellar has been having an affair with Kamaya. Not only is he stationed at the same Georgia base at the time of Tyrone's death, he had also been stationed in South Korea with Tyrone and Kamaya while they were there. Bingo. (laughs) Remember how Kamaya insisted on living alone in Korea? There you go. Makes all the sense in the world, right? It's not because they worked odd hours. Right. If you work long hours, you get a second bedroom, not a second house. That's right. That's right. Lanier contacts Tyrone's father and asks him to bring Kamaya into the police station. They want to talk to her. They have new information. Now the big question comes up. Had the affair ended or was Kamaya still sneaking around with Cuellar? This guy could have felt spurned and killed Tyrone out of anger by himself after Kamaya broke it off, right? We, we don't know. We're assuming that she's in on this, but we don't know that. Jealousy is another major motive for murder, obviously. Maybe Tyrone found out about the affair and confronted Cuellar before leaving for the holidays. Or maybe Cuellar had nothing whatsoever to do with the murder. So there's all kinds of questions. And the one person who can probably answer those questions is Kamaya. Mm-hmm. So she sits down in the interview room and seems quiet and subdued. They ask for her phone and she gives it to them without an issue. She just wants to know what is going on. Lanier and a fellow investigator ask Kamaya if she knows Jeremy Cuellar. Yes, she says. She works with him at the base in Georgia. She and Tyrone have known Jeremy since Korea when they were all stationed there together. They then want to know how well Kamaya knows Cuellar. Just friends, she says. We work together. She suggests the relationship was nothing more. We are not romantically involved, she adds. Then, why? Did something happen with that? Hmm. It's kind of an odd thing to say, right? Why? Did something happen with that? Yeah. They ask about the last time she spoke to Cuellar. Kamaya says earlier that day and a few times since she'd been on leave and in Michigan. Well, the obvious next question is a smart one. Has Jeremy Cuellar ever visited Michigan while she and Tyrone were on leave either this time or at any other time? Because if you're, you're just friendly co-workers, there's no reason for him to be in Michigan. Or for her to be talking to him. Right. Right? I, I mean, come on. Kamaya utters a quiet no. Okay. So, had Cuellar ever come to Michigan to meet with Tyrone? That's the next question. She mumbles something. Then the investigator says, Kamaya. Do you know where this is going? Kamaya is then told that two officers in Georgia were interviewing Cuellar at the same time. And see, that's a smart move, whether they are interviewing him or not. That's a really smart move. Because with that, Kamaya becomes increasingly agitated. She states numerous times, what is he saying? What is he saying? Right? And with that, when we come back from this ad break, you'll hear the aftermath of that revelation and the incredible technological twists in this case still to come. Think social media. So here's Kamaya in the police station talking to detectives. And she begins talking about her relationship with Tyrone. She becomes pissed off talking about how she worked the same number of hours as Tyrone Yet she had to come home and bathe their child, feed Tyrone, feed the child, and take care of the child. Quote, I still have to come home and do everything. That's what she tells police. 
She suggests that Tyrone didn't help her at all. I mean, to be fair, a pretty common complaint amongst many mothers. However, you know, get some counseling, not a shotgun. Yeah. If you're accused of murder and they're coming at you with this stuff, you know, you could be accused now of minimizing your role or blaming the victim, right? Yeah. The guy is dead. She sits there trashing his good name, really, Mm -hmm. her husband, because he can't defend himself from that, right? He's the father of their child. For investigators, these are huge red flags. Also, a huge red flag is the fact that Kamaya has no tears, no sense of how delicate a situation or how serious things are for her. They ask Kamaya if she will take a polygraph. She agrees. And as she begins answering pre-polygraph questions, her shoulders drop, her head droops slightly, and she gives it up. Wow, so she just like didn't want to fake it anymore? And I'll say this about polygraphs. The pre-polygraph questions before the machine is even turned on is the most important part. Because, yes, because when you're given a polygraph test, you're asked questions like yes or no questions. Right. The pre-polygraph is when you go at someone and you say, listen, look, were you home that night? Did you see, you know, so the pre-polygraph is when you lay down your case Mm. to this person and you start to get them into the zone of who they are in this case, right? So, And like if they're guilty, you're getting their like nerves up and they're like fear activated. Right. You're getting their heart rate going. That's interesting. I had no idea about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great little clue into law enforcement work. I've I've interviewed scores of polygraph examiners and they all talk about this. Interesting. Kamaya admits that she and Jeremy Cuellar had started talking and Jeremy mentioned killing Tyrone. Quote, I thought he was kidding. He told me about how I would never have to worry about taking care of any of that, meaning her household and parental obligations. Here's another quote from Kamaya And she's talking for Jeremy now. When me and you get together, baby, I'll make sure you have your break. I'll do this for the baby. I'll do that for the baby. She says Quayar convinced her. Then this quote, it just made me feel like all that was going to happen. You know, that's an odd thing to say as well. It just made me feel like all that was going to happen. So this conversation about killing her husband created a bond between them. In an unassuming manner, with zero emotion, Kamaya says, if she had called it off, Jeremy would have gotten mad at her. And I did not want him mad at me, she says. It seems like very low stakes for exchanging someone's life. Well, yeah, very low stakes. But what it's telling investigators is she's guilty as hell. Because the things she's saying just aren't making any sense, right? I didn't want him mad at me. Either she's just plainly stupid or... You know, she's guilty as hell. I mean, that's her reason for not calling off the brutal murder of her husband, the father of her kid. Right. I mean, the only other thing you can think of is I did not want him mad at me could mean, you know, he's such a scary guy that he's going to come kill me. She didn't say that because I didn't. Right. She didn't. No, she she I didn't want him mad at me. So there's zero remorse here. Kamaya has just admitted to setting up Tyrone's murder, plotting and planning it with Jeremy Cuellar. And she acts as if she's talking about a television show she's just watched. You know, the lead detective conducting the interview, who had conducted thousands of interviews, later said this. She wound up being one of the coldest people I've ever run into. 
That says a lot, right? Kamai explains that she was in contact with Jeremy on the night of the murder. He had traveled to Michigan. Quote, I was letting him know where Tyrone was going and when he was coming back. So for four days leading up to that New Year's Eve night, they had been in contact with each other. And get this, via Snapchat, because they believed the chats disappeared and could not be traced. Okay? And here's Kamaya again to police. I said, well, he's about to bring us something to eat. That's a Snapchat. That was when Tyrone left the party and returned to his father to bring Kamaya food. Jeremy was waiting right there in the dark shadows for him near his truck. So that's why the CCTV didn't show any other cars coming or going. Right, because Jeremy was probably there for hours, right, waiting. Yikes. On that night, Kamaya messaged this. Hurry up. He's on his way back. Don't leave. He's outside. Jeremy had tried to kill Tyrone on six other separate occasions, but in his words later, he choked and couldn't go through with it. As if describing a trip to the supermarket, no emotional connection at all, Kamaya tells investigators this. The money was part of it. Turns out that Kamaya would have ultimately received over $400,000 in life insurance and military death benefits. And then, one of the most damning pieces of evidence police find is Google searches on Kamaya's phone. How to delete a Snapchat message. How long does it take to delete Snapchat? So, one of the detectives questioning her says, was Ty, Tyrone, a bad man? She says, not bad enough for this. Kamaya Hassel was charged with first-degree murder. She pled not guilty. A trial date was set for July 2019. Kamaya's trial was short, all things considered. She argued that she was brainwashed by Jeremy Cuellar and that detectives coerced a confession out of her. You know, this is just so shallow, uh, but I mean, what else did she have really, considering that her confession was all on video? So after a three-day trial, I said it was short. The jury took just over an hour, and that's probably with lunch, which is a statement in and of itself, to find Kamaya guilty. A month later, she was sentenced to life in prison. Jeremy Cuellar was charged with first-degree murder and pled it down to second-degree murder, but made a rather odd request with his plea. He wanted to speak to Tyrone's father. Jeremy Cuellar was sentenced to 65 years. At sentencing, Tyrone's father said to Jeremy, quote, he was something to everybody he met, but to you, he was expendable. He was a check a $400,000 check, end quote. After both trials concluded, Jeremy was granted his wish to speak with Tyrone's father. They spoke on video phone inside the prison. So as I said earlier in this episode about Tyrone's father, about his character, let's listen to some of that right now as Jeremy explains to Tyrone's father how he and Kamaya met and how this plan to murder his son came about me and her liked each other we started messing around you know and you know she was telling me she wasn't happy now we didn't discuss well let me I'll step by step me and her was messing with each other heavily you know we liked each other heavily you know and when we got to korea it was probably like the third month four month the fourth month that we was there you know and we was updating our life insurance and when we did so you know, we went back to the barracks. And me and her is in there. Me, me and my room. 
And she brought it up. She goes, so is your, uh, is your wife on the life insurance? And I was like, no, nah, it's my mom. And she was like, okay. She was like, yeah, I'm on ties. I was like, okay. You know what I'm saying? And she was just like, yeah, you know, you know what I'll do with 400000 I was like, man, there's a whole bunch of shit you can do with 400000 And she was like, yeah, I'll pay off the house. You know what I'm saying? Stuff like that. I was like, true. I'll probably just give me a bike. I don't know. I, don't, I was whatever with it. And she was just like, yeah, 400000 would be nice. That was the start of it. $400,000 would be nice, Kamaya tells her lover. And then she said it again. I was like, damn, you talking like you would want him to die, like you want an accident to happen. And she sat there and she looked at me and she was like, what's up? At that moment, man, I should have I been like, bitch, you crazy. But man, sir, like, I really opened up to her. Two people had just planned a murder. The look on Tyrone's father's face is gut-wrenching. He sits patiently listening to and staring at the man who took his son's life explain how he and his daughter-in-law planned it all. I just, I can't imagine this. It shows the depth and character of Tyrone's father and where likely Tyrone got his goodness and forgiving nature from. Jeremy then talks about that night. I was right there waiting on him. When he was heading home, you know, I was already, you know, there waiting. I'm sitting there and I was thinking about this. I'm just like, yo, like, I was getting anxious. And I was just like, man, you know what? So I started walking off. Jeremy said it took him six times before he finally did it. He choked. There was another moment when Tyrone came out of the house one day and was talking to his brother, who was sitting in his car. Jeremy was around the corner ready. He snapped Kamaya and told her, not today. Tyrone was with someone. And then get this. And this really, really shows you the type of person Kamaya is. She snaps back. That's his brother. Get them both. So in order to take out her husband, Tyrone, she was willing to also have Jeremy kill his brother too. Let's listen to more. Oh, man. She knew what she was doing, man. She's a good actor, man. She's a good-ass actor. She knew what she was doing. And I, I was too stupid to fucking see it. You know what I'm saying? Honestly. So, so what, what prompted you to, uh, to, make, to make the decision to plead guilty instead of no contest? Because you wanted to talk? Basically. You know, I couldn't take it, man. I've been in here for 22-hour lockdown since February. You know what I'm saying? All I, all I had been doing was thinking about this. Then Tyrone's father tells Jeremy this. Well, man, I appreciate you talking. I appreciate your remorse. You know what I mean? But I don't know how much, um, how much you know about me or how much you know about my son, but um, you're going to meet a lot of friends in there, bro. If they from Ben Harbor, 90% of them know us. And uh, we very popular. I don't know if Kamaya told you about, you know, about us or whatever, but you got to meet a lot of friends. The look on Jeremy's face says it all. Deer in the headlights. What's interesting about this case to me is that if you read the actual police reports and documents, you see how intense, monotonous even, and oftentimes tedious police work can actually be. But it's also within that fine art of interviewing one person after the other that the truth resides and emerges. And great cops really, really understand this. It's classic victimology work at play here. You approach one witness at a time, gather the info, 
move on to the next, and soon a picture begins to become clear from that work. A call comes in, you follow up, and bang, you have your killer, or in this case, killers. In July 2020, Jeremy Cuellar filed an appeal wishing to withdraw his guilty plea. Of course, they all do it. Both the Michigan Court of Appeals and the Michigan Supreme Court denied his request. In February 2021, Kamaya filed a motion for a new trial claiming she was a victim of domestic violence, the battered wife syndrome defense, in other words. So I stumbled on this video as I was looking for more information. This is February 2021. She's bringing back up, you know, many years later, this battered wife defense. But there's actually an even earlier video from January 12th, right after her husband was murdered. So this is less than two weeks after he was killed. She's in a police interview, and she actually even says, even though my husband wasn't, like, physically abusive, I was thinking, like, battered women syndrome or something. And she says this completely deadpan, no emotion in her eyes, because she's obviously been searching for, like, ways to save her own ass. Right, right. And the cop interjects, but he didn't batter you. She shakes her head and goes, he didn't, however, and the cop interrupts again, and he was like, he was a pretty good guy, though. And she goes, he was. It takes away so much from people who actually do need to use that defense. She's just trying what she can try at this point. Throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. That's it. You know, she's just looking for a way out. I mean, based on nothing but finding herself to be a real victim, it's classic sociopathic behavior. Mm -hmm. And she definitely is a sociopath. She does not give a shit. I don't understand how people think they will get away with this type of murder today. It's not just hubris. It's more than that. There's something inside some individuals that convinces them that they can beat the system, that they will be the one who gets away with it. I want to believe that social media has had some sort of effect on this entire belief that people are disposable. We discard people in numbers, scrolling, swiping, judging, and then laugh at people's misfortunes and insecurities and challenges. It's nothing more than entertainment now. These are people. Every time we spend an hour on social media, scrolling through and discarding people based on looks, talents, whether they make us laugh or not, it somehow hardens our souls. I, I, I definitely believe that. And human beings, sadly, become disposable. So... With all of that and my little rant at the end, I'll be back next week with another true crime story. Stay safe. Be aware. Sources for today's episode come from ABC57.com, Jeremy Cuellar Confesses to Tyrone Hassel Jr. by Melissa Hudson, St. Joseph Township Police Department Reports, Interviews, Witness Statements, and Warrants. Crossing the Line is a production of iHeartRadio. It's executive produced by me, M. William Phelps, and iHeart executive producer, Catherine Law. Special thanks to producer Rose Bacci and EP, Christina Everett. Audio engineering, original music, and sound design by Matt Russell. Additional thanks to Will Pearson at iHeartRadio. The series theme, number 444, is written and performed by Thomas Phelps and Tom Mooney. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.